You think he's coming back? I know he is. Did you or did you not lie to me? The Nazarene will rise from death. Gar agreed on what is necessary. He deserves to die! Hi, priest. The tomb is now open and the Nazarene is gone. Good morning. It's great to see everybody. Welcome to Seacoast Church. Uh, my name is Josh Surratt. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at the church. If I haven't met you yet, I hope we get the chance to do that uh, soon. want to also welcome all of you that are joining us at uh, any of our campuses uh, here in South Carolina, North Carolina. Maybe you're joining us online, and uh, we just want you to know that we are honored and glad that you're with us this weekend and uh, just excited about what God's going to do uh, while we're here together. Um, before we get into the message for this weekend, uh, last weekend we had Easter at Seacoast, and I just want to kind of give you guys a quick update on uh, what happened Easter at Seacoast. We had asked the church to invite people to church. You know, you guys remember some of the videos that we did just kind of talking about uh, making it a priority to invite friends to church, and you guys uh, did. You guys invited people uh, by the droves. We had over 24,000 people worship at Seacoast this past weekend, which is crazy. Um, yeah. And uh, the numbers that is cool, obviously, because every number represents a person and a story of, of what God's doing in people's lives. But uh, I was especially excited about, like, Sea Island. You know, we didn't even have a campus on John's Island or Sea Island last year. And uh, we had 414 people. They went to two services last weekend. They're still at two services this weekend. So we're glad for you guys, excited about what God's doing there. Uh, our North Charleston campus, our Dream Center, had uh, almost 1,000 people last weekend, record attendance up there as well. And God just doing some really, really cool things. And a lot of people made decisions to give their lives to Christ. And uh, that was, it's always exciting to see people do that uh, when God kind of gets a hold of somebody's heart. But I just want to encourage you, if you are one of those people, maybe you came for the first time, or maybe you've just been coming for a while and have recently surrendered your life to Christ, but haven't been baptized, next weekend uh, after Easter, we decided at all of our campuses, we're just going to do a baptism next weekend uh, as an opportunity for those of us that have made that commitment but haven't been baptized to just go public with that commitment. And, uh, and that's the first act of obedience that God calls us to in scripture is to repent and be baptized. And so we'll do it. We'll have all this stuff that you need in terms of towels and shirts and uh, I think everything short of a hairdryer we've got for you uh, for baptism next weekend. Let me ask you a question as we kind of get started. Have you guys ever received some news that you thought it's just too good to be true? Ever, ever got news like that? I remember um, when I was in high school, kind of the tail end of my high school years, uh, two of my first loves, uh, favorite loves came together. McDonald's and Monopoly. You guys, you guys remember when kind of they did a promotion, McDonald's, and, and they began this, it was the, the one I'm thinking of, it was the boardwalk promotion where if you would collect all the different letters of the word boardwalk and they would be on a little tab that you could pull off of the, your drink or your french fries, uh, if you got all of those letters, you could win up to $10 million. I mean, an incredible deal. That was all the motivation that I needed to begin eating several Big Mac combo meals a day because... If you just got the, the drink or whatever, you'd get one. But if you, if you extra, what do you call it, supersize? If you supersize the combo meal, you would actually get two tabs. And so there is where the health crisis in America started uh, back in the 90s. But, <clears throat> but I, I went for it. I began my collection. I, I had in my room, kept track of all the, the letters that we had. And, and one day, 
I was driving with a friend of mine up to Aiken, South Carolina. Uh, he lived there. He had been down here. We're going to go up and spend a couple of days together. And we stopped in Orangeburg, South Carolina at the McDonald's and uh, ordered a little combo meal. And I told him as, as we were going through the drive-thru, I've got every letter in Boardwalk except the letter O. So we're focused here. We're going for the letter O. We're driving away from this drive-thru. I immediately pulled the tab off of, I can't remember if it was my drink or my fries, but I, I turn it over and it's the letter O. And I'm telling you, it was like time stood still. $10 million. We have just won it was really me, but I was going to give him like a million or so just because he was driving and paid for gas. But um, <clears throat> I'm telling you, so excited. So we, we began to, on that, that hour that we had left of this drive, in, our, in, in my mind, I began to spend that money. I began to think about how am I going to act, how am I going to spend this money? And, and I was proud of myself for sort of the way that I, uh, I decided to spend it. I, I, I thought, you know what, 10% would be kind of the the standard for giving in the church, but I, I'm gonna call my dad when I get to Aiken and I'm gonna tell him 20%. I'm laying down $2 million. What do you need, dad? Your 16-year-old son has got it covered. Uh, I just won $10 million. We need a building campaign, let's do it. I mean, I'm, I'm all in for $2 million. I was so excited about that. Um, I was gonna certainly buy a, a new car. Um, I also thought, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna buy my mom a house because that's what people do when they get it rich. They buy their mama a house. They already had a house, they didn't need one, but I was gonna buy a house. You know, the fair was coming up. This was the fall. And I thought, I'm doing wristbands for the entire family. My family could never do wristbands at the fair. You know what I'm talking about? Where you can ride all the rides. I don't know if y'all do that in the upstate. But we had to do the coupons, you know, where you had like two coupons or four coupons for, for a ride. And it was just ridiculous. So I was going to get wristbands for, for the whole family. It was going to be cool. Uh, certainly planned on paying for college and uh, you know, maybe, maybe take a few road trips that were a little bit more extravagant than Aiken, South Carolina. No offense if you're watching in Aiken. I don't even know if they have the internet in Aiken, but um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm sure they do. They got, you know, Augusta's right around the corner though. So Augusta National, the Masters, good place, good people. So I, I'm, I'm thinking about all of the money. And you know, I, I don't have a cell phone at the time. Believe it or not, I actually made it through high school without a cell phone. Some of you Younger folks in the room, your mind is blown. I had a beeper though, which was pretty cool. Um, but I decided I wasn't gonna communicate to my parents in that way. But, but so I get to Aiken and uh, we, we find the phone and I'm, I'm excited to call back home and tell my parents this incredible news. I mean, $10 million. And so it was a long distance call, uh, but I, I covered it. I was like, no big deal. You know, we got this, I'll, I'll pay for the call. And I'm talking to my parents and my mom says, well, why don't I go and uh, just grab you know, the letters to confirm your winnings. I said, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And so she pulls them out and she's kind of laying them out on the phone talking. I got, I got the K and the L, lots of A's here. You're good there. I got a W, uh, got an R. And, and she said, I've got, I've got an O. And I said, wait, wait a minute. You're talking about my O, right? And she was like, no, I, you, you've got an O. I was like, I already had the O. She's like, yeah, this is incredible. I've been, a, and she said, but you don't have the B. Do you have the B? Oh, I mean, can you, the agony of realizing that all this money I had just spent in my head was not going to actually happen because I did not have the B. I don't think McDonald's ever printed the letter B in that particular promotion. So it was, it was a letdown. It was a letdown. I'm still kind of trying to recover from that letdown today. Some of you, you've experienced something like that. You know, you got news that was too good to be true. Maybe it was the the gentleman from Africa that had no living descendants, but he had randomly found your email address and he had millions of dollars that he was 
going to give you. I mean, don't, don't lie. You felt at least the first time you got that email, you thought, okay, maybe I should at least reply to the email. How bad could it be? I got a postcard in the mail this week from Carnival Cruise Lines, a seven-day cruise for free for two, no strings attached. Yeah, right. Yeah, maybe like me, you uh, got your hopes up that she was interested in you, only to find out she was interested in your best friend, and that's why she was kind of hanging out with you. You know, too good to be true. We've all probably had a moment like that. Well, last week, churches across the country and across the world really celebrated the most significant event on the Christian calendar, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We talked about how the resurrection, this news that that may seem too good to be true was proof that our worry and our grief and our, even our past, the mistakes that we've made is is no match for God's power and his plan for our lives. And the resurrection of Jesus. You know, this is the, the fact that he died and then he rose again is the central Fact, the central event in Christianity. It's the one thing that, that separates our faith from any other religion in the world. We're the only people that worship a Savior that not only died for uh, humanity, but, but didn't stay in the grave. Too good to be true. Maybe not. You know, we're, we're kicking off a series right now called AD, and I'm excited about it. We're joining up with, uh, there's a show on NBC that uh, is Sunday nights at nine o'clock. If you missed it last week, you may want to DVR it. It's pretty cool. You don't have to watch it in order to track with the series, but um, just kind of looking at what happened after the resurrection of Jesus, after the death of Jesus, what, what happened next? We're going to be looking at the, the beginning of a movement that, that would go from a, a, a few people when Jesus died and was rose, r- risen again to 2.1 billion people on planet earth today that call themselves followers of Christ. And we're gonna kind of look at the early days of that movement. But what I wanna do today is I wanna look at the resurrection for a little bit longer. I wanna spend one more week looking at the resurrection because you can imagine that as as word begins to spread that Jesus is no longer in the grave, that there were a number of people, most really, who would have thought this has got to be too good to be true. I mean, maybe somebody did something with his body. Maybe there's a, 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 a conspiracy theory here. Maybe there's just some people that uh, can't get over the fact and aren't, aren't dealing well with the fact that their savior, they put all this stock in this individual and he's gone. And, and, and a lot of people would think that it was too good to be true. But Jesus, I think, knew that. And so he physically revealed himself and showed up to a number of different people. And we're just gonna look at a couple of those encounters this weekend. And see, I believe what he wanted to do is he wanted to do some things in his disciples so that they could be carriers of this movement, so that they could, they could boldly proclaim the truth about his life and his death and his resurrection. And, and my prayer for Seacoast at all of our campuses is that, that every one of us, we would be carriers of the movement. And so let's look at what he did in those disciples. And I believe he wants to communicate some, some realities to us as well. So, so the first thing that we can learn as we study the life of Jesus, is that the reality of the resurrection that means that for those of us with doubts, the resurrection strengthens our resolve, strengthens our resolve. See, one of the encounters that Jesus had was with a guy named Thomas. And I thank God that the Bible captures the story of Thomas because I, I relate to Thomas. Maybe I'm the only one in the room today that, that deals with doubt sometimes, that, that wrestles with questions about our faith. And, and as word began to spread about Jesus' resurrection, this one guy, Thomas, 
He had his doubts. He had his questions. He thought, this has got to be too good to be true. Well, those of us with doubts, the resurrection can strengthen our resolve. What is resolve? It's defined as commitment, boldness, courage. It's interesting when you look at the story, when Jesus was arrested, tried, and crucified, it seemed like in one sweeping moment, the disciples lost all of their resolve. What happened? I mean, I don't know if you're like me. When I, when I envision myself sometimes in certain situations, I usually end up doing something heroic. Like if, if there was a, a bad guy that were to come and do something to my family, I always envision myself stepping in and saying the right thing and doing the right thing. And I, I, I think about Liam Neeson's character in, in Taken where he says, I don't have money, but what I do have is a particular set of skills and I will hunt you down and I will find you and I will kill you and I will make you pay. And that's me and my imagination. Whenever anything were to happen, I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm stepping up big time. Can you imagine the disciples that they finally kind of come back together after all this has gone down and they're looking at each other? Were you there? Did you, did you see it? No, no I, I actually, I wasn't there. Well, what, what about you? What, what did you do? What did you say? Well, I, I, I ran. I mean, I was afraid for my life. I, I wasn't there. Well, what did you say? Did, 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 anybody, was it, did anybody take a stand for Jesus in, in these moments and only to find out that, that they had scattered, that nobody stood up for Christ? Can you imagine the shame and the humiliation that these guys must have felt? See, resolve is hard to come by when your life is in danger. Questions and doubt can begin to fill our minds. And even after Jesus had shown up to some of them, there was this one guy who said, you know what, it's too good to be true. And I, I put his story in here uh, in, in the outline sheet found in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. But this show uh, tonight actually depicts this story and, and I got a, a clip of it and I thought it, it was worth just showing it. If, if you'd rather read the scripture, you can do it. But why don't we look at uh, the clip from AD tonight and, and see how this story kind of plays out. believe the journey I've made to get back. I was convinced I was being followed. And then I became confused and couldn't remember which was the right street or the right house. It was only when I saw... What? Jesus. I know. No. Thomas. He was here. What? Jesus was just here, in this room. He broke bread with us. Are you playing a sick joke on me because I'm the last to get back? No. So Jesus was here with you all? Yes. What kind of fool do you take me for that I would believe a story like that without proof? What kind of opinion must you have of me to believe I'd be so easily duped? Thomas, it's the truth. Enough! <laughs> I haven't slept for two nights. I've barely eaten. It was all I could do to come back at home. Thomas, wait. Stop this now! Go to the tomb and see for yourself. See with your own eyes. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger in them. Unless I put my hand in the spear wound itself, I will not believe. You think he's dead? 
And this is finished. What else? The truth. Mary. Go to the tomb. Temple guards are resealing the tomb. Why would they do that? To pretend his body remains inside. Kill any rumors that he's risen. Now do you believe, Thomas? We saw him. Each one of us touched him, sat with him, ate with him, laughed with him. But I did not. How can each of us be mistaken in exactly the same way at exactly the same time? Thomas. Now that you have seen for yourself, you believe. <laughs> Blessed are they who have not seen me and still believe. <laughs> So the show obviously took a few creative liberties, I'm sure, in kind of depicting that story. We don't know exactly uh, what Thomas did after he saw uh, Jesus and after he saw his, the wounds in his hands, but what we do know is what he said. And I think it's pretty, pretty interesting to think about it. He, he looks at Jesus and he says, my Lord and my God. And theologians have kind of talked about what did he mean by that, what, what did all that mean, but what, what stood out to me when I read that and saw it this week is is that he, he said, my Lord, my God. And the faith of, of the disciples, the faith that his friends had, the faith that he had kind of hoped that he would find became very real and very personal to him in that moment. And, and I'm just so thankful for this story because there are times that I feel like Thomas, that I, that I have doubts. And I believe that the reason that Jesus confronted Thomas in his unbelief is because Thomas desperately needed to understand the reality of the resurrection for himself. See, that one moment with Jesus was the one thing that Thomas needed to get him through the rest of his life, to propel him into a life of, of purpose and of, 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 of commitment and of resolve. Jesus didn't die so that Thomas would live out the rest of his life in doubt. He died and was raised from the dead so that Thomas could believe, so that he could, he could live free from doubt. Where do you struggle with doubt? You know, we all have doubts. Thomas wasn't the only one that had doubts. He just happened to be the one that was most vocal about it. And I love that Thomas's doubt, it didn't cause Jesus to reject him. Jesus wasn't mad at him for his questions. Jesus met him right where he was. In fact, Jesus's, or Thomas's doubt drew Jesus to Thomas. Jesus wanted to prove to Thomas that his resurrection was real because he wanted Thomas to believe. And you know, at that moment, the moment where Jesus revealed himself and his resurrection to his disciples became the driving factor for these guys. You know, one that they would never forget. As we continue this series over the next couple of weeks and look at what happened in the early days of the church, what we'll see is that the resurrection never became, never was far from their lips. 
They never stopped talking about it. They talked about Jesus' resurrection more than anything else because it was the central truth that drove them, that motivated them, that gave them the resolve to move forward into their purposes. The resurrection does what nothing else can do. The, the resurrection proves that Jesus is the son of God. It proved it to them and it proves it to us today. Nothing else does that. Take away the resurrection of Jesus and you take away the power of the cross. Thomas's resolve was strengthened in a way that transformed his life, not only for that moment, but for the rest of his life. You know, history goes on to tell us that all the disciples lived the rest of their lives, except for one of them, all of them ended up dying for their faith. You know, spreading the news that Jesus was alive, the one thing that could have gotten them off the hook, the one thing that they could have said that would have prevented their death would have been to go, you know what, the resurrection didn't happen. If they would have just come, come up and just said that, th those words, then they would have been let free, but they couldn't because they knew it because their, their faith had been resolved. They'd seen it with their own eyes. You know, Thomas was perhaps the only apostle who ends up going outside of the Roman Empire to preach the gospel. According to Christian history, he ended up uh, going to Asia, uh, as far as India, where, where he, martyred, he was martyred for his teaching on the resurrection of Jesus. Not bad for the disciple who we know is doubting Thomas. See, Thomas didn't stay a doubter. He changed. He became faithful, bold, courageous Thomas. His resolve was strengthened. Where do you struggle with doubt? You know, for me, um, I've gone through seasons where I've, I've wrestled with doubt. I've gone through seasons where I've wrestled with doubt even about the resurrection and I've done my own research and read several books and maybe you're there and I'd encourage you to do it. But just a couple of months ago, I was struggling with doubt in a bit of a different kind of a way. Uh, I, I told the church about some loved ones in our lives that we've, uh, we've lost in the last couple of months. And um, a couple of them, the way in which they have died, it wasn't that somebody else brought it on. It was stuff that kind of led me to go, God, why, where were you in this? Why would you have allowed this to happen? And, and it kind of led me into a, just kind of a place of feeling a little bit dry spiritually. And so a friend of mine was going to a conference uh, and he invited me to come with him. He said, hey, I think this would be a powerful thing for you. And so I went out and uh, honestly went out with the goal of, God, I just want to experience you in a new way. I want to experience a, a, just a fresh sense of your presence in my life and, and your purpose for my life. And so I went to this conference and as I'm at this conference, uh, there were very real signs that God was there. Uh, there were people that were experiencing uh, healings. There were people that were experiencing joy. There were people that were experiencing tears and, and, and just brokenness. And you just saw God's presence all over the place. But, but for me, I didn't feel anything. I mean, I learned a few things. I took some notes, but I really didn't go out there to learn things. I went out there because I wanted to experience God's presence in my life. And so by the end of the conference, they, they finished with kind of this response time uh, where people were just visibly experiencing God's power. And I'm, I'm standing there and I'm going, God, I'm, I'm here. I don't know if, you, if you've forgotten about me or I don't know if you just kind of, your presence skipped this section of the auditorium or what, but like, I'd love to, I'd love to have an encounter with you and, and, and nothing. And I remember talking to my friends and uh, they were just so excited about all that God had done. And I'm kind of just almost sort of faking my way through it to go, yeah, I mean, it was great. But inside I was just in turmoil going, God, I mean, have, have you forgotten about me? Did I do something? Did I say something? Is, is, is my time done? I'm not sure what's going on. And I don't mean to overplay it, but I really was just struggling. And I remember I got in my car and uh, was driving to the airport. It was a two hour drive from where the conference was. And I was by myself. Uh, everybody else was staying an extra day. I wanted to get home 
early. And, and so driving uh, from there, just feeling discouraged. And I get a text message from my dad. And he said, hey, you need, to, you need to check your email and listen to an email I just sent you. And so I said, okay. So I pulled over and th- there was a gentleman, I don't even know his name, but apparently has a gift of, of prophecy. And he has spoken prophetic words over uh, many uh, pastors, friends of mine and pe- people around the country. And and he had a conversation with my dad and, and wanted to speak a prophetic word over Seacoast and over my dad. And, and he said, in the middle of the conversation, he said, hey, do you have, you have, you've got a son, a second son. God gave me a specific word uh, for, for all your kids, but specifically your, your second son. Tell me his name. And my dad said, what's well, Joshua? And, and so my dad recorded the conversation and he sent it to me via email. And as I pulled over to the side of the road and listened to the words that this man said about me, you would have thought he was in my small group. I mean, I began to cry and I just sensed God's presence. And I felt like, uh, of all the things, I felt like God said, you know what, Josh? I know where you live. I've got my eye and my hand on your life. And don't get so distracted about how I'm working in other people's lives that you forget that I've got you. I've got a plan for your life. And and it was a powerful moment for me and one that I'll never forget where I just went, you know what, God? I'm gonna put that doubt to rest. I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose to live my life with the resolve, with the, the courage of knowing that your hand is on my life and I'm gonna do wherever you've called me to go, I'm gonna go. And so I don't know where your doubts are or what kind of doubt that you're dealing with, but maybe, maybe you doubt that God has a plan for your life. Maybe you doubt that God loves you. Maybe you struggle with doubt about, is, this, is all this even real? Did the resurrection really happen? And my encouragement for you would be just to take that doubt to God. He's not afraid of it. That's a huge thing we can learn from his example with Thomas. He's not afraid of our doubts. And if we'll be productive with our doubt, if we'll bring it to him, I don't know how he'll respond to it. Maybe for you, it'll be in a supernatural way, like you did with Thomas. He later did that with the Apostle Paul, and he's done it with several of my friends. Naeem Fazel shared last summer here at Seacoast, a friend of mine, where God just showed up to him in a supernatural way that, that caused him to, to deal with his doubt. Maybe like me, he'll give you a word of encouragement through a, a loved one or a friend or a prophetic word that just speaks to what you're, you're dealing with. What all of us have that Thomas didn't is we have the New Testament. We have the, the written documentation of what Jesus did and, and what he's done and, and allow your doubt to take you to the pages of scripture to kind of wrestle with the truth of God's word. But I pray that he's gonna remind you that the power of the resurrection gives us resolve. It can strengthen, it can give us boldness to work through our doubt. The second thing I think we can learn uh, through the resurrection is for those of us with conflict, the resurrection reconciles my relationships, reconciles my relationships. See, later on uh, in John 21, Jesus shows up to the disciples again. This is after the encounter with Thomas. And uh, they had all gone fishing, which is interesting because uh, that's what a lot of them were doing before Jesus called them to follow him. And so they'd kind of gone back to life as it was before, they're fishing and they come back in from a night of fishing and Jesus is on the beach. And of all the things that Jesus could have done in his resurrection, of all the sermons that he could have preached or people that he could have healed, it's interesting to me what he does on the beach. He starts starts a fire and he makes breakfast for these guys. He's like, let's just hang out together. Let's eat together, let's laugh together, let's hang out together. Because he knew that there were some relationships that needed to be reconciled. There was some stuff that had happened over the last couple of weeks that that they needed to kind of come back together and reconcile these relationships. He's gonna talk to Peter later about his purpose, but before that, he knows that the relationship needs to be restored. And look what he does with Peter in this moment. After they've had breakfast, 
he sits down with Peter in John 21, 15 through 17. It's on your outline sheet if you have it. It says, when, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then one more time, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Simon, calls him his name that it was before. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, feed my sheep. There's a lot that's going on in this passage of scripture. We could spend several weeks talking about what Jesus was doing here. But, but two things I want you to notice. One is he, he, he wanted to restore the relationship. You know, the last time they had seen each other, Peter had really let Jesus down. He had not shown up. And, and Jesus wanted to make sure that Peter knew that they were good. That it was never about how faithful Peter was gonna be in this relationship. It was always about what Jesus was gonna do, that he was gonna raise from the dead. And the resurrection reminds us that, that when there's conflict, Jesus comes not to make all the wrongs right or to tell you what you did wrong. Or he, he comes to restore and reconcile relationships. You know, this week, our city has been on the front pages of news websites and featured story on, on the news all week long. You know, it's been so heartbreaking, I know for me and I'm sure for many of us here as we've watched the details emerge about the tragic death of Walter Scott. I sat on my couch on Tuesday and watched the video that many of you may have seen and just heart was broken over it. Had my wife come down and look at it, just trying to make sense. What, what do you do in a situation like this? Last Easter weekend, a man seem, seemingly innocent or se seems to be wrongfully killed and at the hands of, of law enforcement. It's just so hard to wrestle with this kind of a situation. What do we do? How do we make sense of it? You know, as I was praying about it and thinking about it this week, it occurred to me that really Jesus of anybody knows what it means to be wrongfully killed at the hands of the authorities. And, and if we can't look at his resurrection and how he handled himself in that to learn from a situation, I'm not sure what we can look at. But, but he didn't come back to avenge his death. He came back with specific instructions for the disciples to love each other, to take care of each other. He didn't harp all, on all the things that Peter had done wrong and how he could have done it differently. He focused on his love for him and on his purpose in life. And you know, anytime something like this happens in a community, there's all kinds of opportunity for division, for lines to be drawn, for sides to be taken, for whether that be uh, police officers against the people or black versus white or Republican versus Democrat. There are people that are gonna wanna draw lines and we're gonna go, what side are you on on this? That's not the way that Jesus handled it. See, I believe this is a time that we fight for unity. That we seek to come together. For Seacoast, this isn't just another news story. This is our neighborhood. This is our community. Seven years ago, God called us to plant a church blocks away from where this incident happened. And so we're, we refuse to just look at this as a news story. This is, this is our church. This is our community. And we want to respond appropriately. So Wednesday, we pulled together a group of people, some of whom are a part of our team at the Dream Center, uh, black and white, Republican, Democrat. We came together at the church offices and we just took some time to pray together to pray for the family of Walter Scott, to pray for 
this police officer and his family, to pray for the leaders in our community, to pray for us as a church. Lord, give us wisdom. What should we do? How do we respond in the face of this tragedy? You know, this scripture kind of came to the forefront as several of the team members shared. Ephesians 4.3, it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That's what we wanna do. We kind of came away from our time together with three steps that we're gonna take as a church. Three things that we're gonna do. The first one is this, we're gonna continue to do the ministry that God's called us to do in North Charleston. You know, there'll be some that'll come and seek the limelight, that's whatever. But, but we've been there for seven years and we're gonna stay there. Doing Adopt-A-Block and dream clinics and food pantries and mentoring programs and establishing a church and continuing to build that church. And we're gonna pray for God to continue to give us wisdom on future programs that might seek to bring the community together. We're not going anywhere. We're gonna continue to worship there. Our experience in North Charleston is such a beautiful picture of the body of Christ coming from all different backgrounds, coming together in relationship to worship the resurrected Jesus. We're gonna continue to do what we do. And we left that meeting going, you know what? Of all things, we're just gonna stay the course. God has put us here for a reason, for this season. We're gonna keep going. But secondly, we recognize that moments like this, this is a time for us to come together, not to draw lines, not to divide, but to come together. And so we're gonna do that tonight at six o'clock up at the Dream, Dream Center. We're gonna do it outside. We got a tent uh, for, from six to eight. We're just gonna come together and try to unite the community. It's called unity for the community. We're gonna pray together. We believe that when God's people come together and pray, we'll pray for uh, all of the different um, complexities of the situation. We're gonna have people from uh, the community, people from the family of uh, Walter Scott we've invited to be a part, law enforcement we've invited to be a part. I think Senator Tim Scott may even come and, and uh, pray, different pastors from the community. And we're just gonna seek God together and see if he doesn't do something powerful. And I've talked to several uh, people in the church who've said, you know what, I, I sense that God's gonna do something different in this community than, than what's happened uh, in others in this. And so we're gonna come together and pray. Bring your kids, it'll be outdoors, it'll be fun. We'll have stuff going on for them. We'll have some music and, and we're just gonna come together. We're gonna invite the entire church to be a part of it tonight at six o'clock, just to come together to pray. But then thirdly, one of the solutions that uh, seems most people seem to agree on is that body cameras for law enforcement would have maybe been a huge step in the right direction to protect both law enforcement and members of the community from stuff like this happening again in the future. So we called and spoke with the police chief in North Charleston and have agreed to purchase 25 cameras uh, for the city of North Charleston so that maybe it can prevent stuff like this from happening in the future. So we're gonna, we're gonna come together. We're gonna respond as a church. But, but I saw a news story this week that was pretty inspiring. And it was actually Walter Scott's mom being inter interviewed by Anderson Cooper. And I wanna show you just a quick clip from this story. I mean, I'm supposed to be really angry and upset and raging and all that, but I can't. Because of the love of God in me, I can't be like that. Bible you don't feel me, that in your heart? No, I don't. I feel forgiveness in my heart, even for the guy that shot and killed my son. You feel forgiveness? Yes. For him. Yes, I do. Isn't that cool? You know, one of the scriptures in the New Testament says that uh, people will know my followers by their love for each other. 
And I love how she said, it, it, it's, I can't. I can't feel hatred because of the love of God. And most of us look at that and go, well, gosh, how is that possible? And it's only possible through the love of God. And so um, we're, we're gonna seek to just see God do something. I believe that this story is gonna play out differently than it has across the country. And I believe that what the enemy meant for evil, what people meant for evil, God's gonna work it together and use it for the good of our community. And so let's be an example uh, to, to the world of, of how we respond in the midst of brokenness and relationships. And, uh, you know, taking it to a personal level, what about you? Are, are there relationships that need to be reconciled in your life? Maybe a name comes to mind, a conversation that you've been maybe putting off. Let's let Jesus' example show us that because of the resurrection, we can have reconciliation and restoration in our relationships. And whether you have a personal thing that comes to mind or not, all of us can be a voice of reconciliation in our cities. You know, whether you live in here in Charleston or anywhere else, think about, does, does your Facebook status and post, do, do, do they draw lines and seek to divide or are they voices for unity and for reconciliation? Real quickly, I wanna go through one more thing that we can learn. It may seem too good to be true, but for those of us that lack direction, the resurrection reminds me of my purpose. The resurrection reminds me of my purpose. You know, go back to that conversation that Jesus had with Peter. You know, he restored the relationship, but that's not all he did. He also offered Peter a second chance with his purpose. You know, if anyone would have felt ill-equipped to lead the church, to, to be bold and courageous, to have resolved to step up for the cause of Christ, it would have been Peter. I mean, he had failed in so many ways. He had denied Jesus three times. He, he, he disappeared when Jesus needed him most. And I think it's no uh, mistake that Jesus three times goes, I want you to feed my sheep. See, Peter knew what his purpose was. Jesus had told him long before that. A moment in Matthew verses 16 and verse 18, Jesus looks at Peter, this man, and he says, you know what? I tell you that you're, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. See, Peter knew what his calling in life was. God had told him, Jesus had told him. But can you imagine how much he probably doubted that at that moment? Have I blown it? I mean, how could, I, how could God continue to want to use a guy like me where, where I had so, just a lack of courage? I failed, I blew it. You know what? We'll continue to study over the next couple of weeks and we'll see that Peter emerges as a guy that God uses in a powerful way to be a catalyst for the movement uh, that we continue to be a part of today called the church. And you know what? You have a purpose too, all of us do. If you're still taking breath today, God hasn't given up on you. God hasn't, uh, your, your failure hasn't caused God not to wanna use you in the future. We all have purpose. We all have specific things that God's gonna do in us and through us, but, but all of us, you know, all of us have a purpose. Starting point would be to know and receive the love that God has for you. You know, there may be people that are here today, there probably are, who you've never experienced the love that God has for you. And, and you're never gonna find your purpose apart from God's love that he has for you. Maybe you know God's love for you, but, but God's purpose for everyone in this room is that we continue to grow in that love for him on a daily basis, that we, we spend time in his word, uh, learning the truth that he speaks over our lives. You know, all of us have been placed at a specific time and place to accomplish our purpose. And, and so for all of us, our, our, our purpose would be to find our place to make a difference in this world, in this church. You know, we're doing inside track at all of our campuses this weekend and be a great opportunity for you to kind of step in and begin to discover your purpose and your place in the church 
to be a part of God's plan to continue to bring restoration and healing in our, 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 our communities. You know, all of us have the purpose of being mindful that there are people outside of our church that God wants to bring to himself. And he wants to use people like you and me to be a part of that. You know, my hope is for all of us is that we would recalibrate our mindset, regardless of what our past has looked like, that we've got a purpose, that God has a plan. You know, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he reminded Peter of his assignment. And I hope we'll be reminded of our assignment today. So do you have doubts? Let's not solidify our doubts. Let's be a people who bring our doubts to Jesus and let the resurrection give us resolve. Do you have relationships that need to be reconciled? Let's allow the resurrection to do that. Maybe some of us feel like we lack purpose in life. Let's find our meaning, find our calling, find our purpose in the risen Christ. You know what? Jesus' resurrection was too good to be true. But, but it was true. You know, Jesus' love that he has for you and for me, it, it may seem too good to be true. We know ourselves, but you know what? It is true. He loves us so much. And it's every bit as worth planning our lives around the resurrection of Jesus as it was for me to think I could make plans around winning $10 million. It's too good to be true. Jesus' resurrection, but it is true. And it's not meant to be a story in a book somewhere. It's meant to be real, living, alive, breathing, powerfully stirring our lives just as it was in the lives of the disciples. Let's be a church that lives in the reality of the resurrection. Would you pray with me as we close? God, I thank you so much, uh, Lord. Uh, words just seem uh, like they don't do it justice, but that you rose from the dead, that you conquered death. Lord, thank you. That means that all of us can experience life in dead places, whether that be a, a marriage, a relationship, our finances, whatever it might be, God. We thank you that your resurrection, Lord, is hope that we can have life. Lord, that we can live lives of purpose, of meaning. We can overcome our doubts. We can see relationships restored. And Lord, we can live in the fullness of life that you've called us to. I pray that over every person in this place today and all of our campuses. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.